Well, I don't uh, consider myself an expert parent. I never spoke about anything to do with parenting until my boys were all grown and in full-time Christian ministry and married. So, Because I was terrified with having children of a minister that they would grow up to, to hate their father and God. I'd seen it happen too many times. And so the only operative principle that I had as a parent was my fear that they would reject the thing that was most important to me. So when we um, were under the teaching of someone who taught us about this theology of grace, it seemed to be that that was a way to uh, apply something which might reduce the rebellion factor in children. But it was an experiment. As David says, we're totally surprised. Uh, they were bad. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was, uh, it was really a, a, something that we sort of made up as we went along. How do you parent children using, um, making use of this theology of grace, this one-way love? Um, there were no books. There were no mentors. I just was kind of winging it. And by the grace of God, we have some great um, young adult men and their families um, in the world today. If any of, have any of you listened to the Zal Brothers podcast? Anybody? It's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's really the fruit of what I'm going to try to talk about now. The first principle, what emerged in looking back on this it wasn't that we started out with these ideas. It's that looking back, we, you know, the hindsight, what did we do that was different or possibly um, affected very much by our theology that might have been different from what other people were doing, um, or people that we knew anyway, let's put it that way. So um, four, basically four themes emerged, and I'm going to talk about three of those now, and the fourth one I'll talk about in the workshop at 11 for those of you who come to that. But the first theme really was about human nature. Human nature um, in children. How does that, um, if, if, you, if they're fallen creatures, how, does, how do you parent these fallen creatures with grace, in a graceful way? The, it came up as a subject, as a, as a challenge, very early on. And the subject was, um, only a little bit less volatile than the abortion one, and that is toy guns. We had three boys, and um, I found out that a lot of other mothers had very strong ideas about toy guns. And I had actually worked on a psychiatric ward with troubled children, and I knew that they that that be, having weapons was a very important part of their therapy, of working out their anger and of helping them into a place of mental health. So I was inclined to, to think that this was a problem that was actually inside them. And this is what this says, the human nature. If they're a fallen human nature, what Jesus said is that it's what's inside that defiles, not what is outside. It's not the culture. It's not something from the outside. It's something inside them. So this anger that these little boys needed to get out in their toy guns and swords and what have you, was from inside. And if I saw that as inherent to them, as part of their human nature, then I didn't judge it. I just saw my role 
as helping them to find creative and, um, you know, <laughs> and positive ways to express it. It was something inside that needed to be expressed. If, it, if you suppressed it or told them this was bad, judgment is always going to send up a wall. That would not have been a good thing. And, um, to put, and so judgment was not a, a good answer. To understand that this was inside them and it needed to come out uh, and that it was my job to help them manage that, what was inside them as well as what was in the world. And so we as a family probably were much more exposed our children to a whole lot more than most children were exposed to because we didn't see the problem. We, we didn't see ourselves as filters. We weren't trying to filter the big bad world from these pure children. We were trying to help these fallen children to live in this world in a way that they didn't kill people and didn't uh, do bad things. So um, it was not a matter of filtering and protecting. In fact, that was a huge relief. That was not our job. And I see a lot of parents who, especially Christian parents, who see it as their job to decide what's good and what's bad, what's evil, what's not. And, you know, that, that's exhausting. And you'll never get it right. So this principle of how we treated the toy gun issue, uh, it, it appeared in many forms, <laughs> many, many forms throughout the years. They had uh, all sorts of creative ways for their sin to come out. Um, and as, as you can imagine, um, it, we had to deal with things like uh, skateboard culture and uh, rat tails and rap music and um, not good friends and um, all sorts of things as they were young, young boys. But later on, it became bigger issues like things like um, alcohol and girls and pornography uh, and drugs. What inside if we saw it as something that was coming from inside that defiled instead of something that we could control from the outside, it was a totally different approach. So it gave us compassion and um, it gave us more understanding and I think it, for the most part, worked. Um, the, you know, the thing about parenting, as you all know, if you've been in that role or are in that role, is that we also are fallen people as parents. We're fallen parents. We've got, um, they've got fallen siblings. We've got fallen parents ourselves, spouses, etc. So it's a fallen world. It's everywhere. So the less judgment we can impose on that, the better. The second theme, so the first theme was um, that human nature is fallen. The problem is inside, not outside, not in the world, not entirely the world. The second is that the law, as Paul was just talking about, is insufficient to deal with the human nature problem. In fact, the law carries with it the seeds of rebellion, the ones that I was afraid of in bringing up children in a minister's home. Um, and Paul has explained to you what we mean by that. And what I'm talking about here is particularly, there are sort of, basically two uses of the law that, that come up in parenting. And the one that I'm talking about is causing problems is the, is the use of the law where we're expecting transformation. We're doing something, hoping, if I do this, then my child will be a better person. That kind of use of the law does not, it may work in the short term, but it does not work in the long term. It has to come from the heart, whatever it is. Um, but there is, a, there is a first use of the law, which 
some of the people that I think have tried to emulate us, people ask us all the time, how did you do it? What did you do? You know, and so this is, you know, my attempt to answer that. Um, but the first use of the law that Luther described is really the civilizing use of the law. That's stoplights. That's um, brushing your teeth. That's, um, that's things that you do that are not, you're not expecting a transformation. You're just, they're just rules that, are, that give, in fact, give a child security. And some people trying to be graceful let go of this first use of the law too much. The child needs those curbs. In our family, for instance, we never discussed whether or not the kids went to church. Now that may not be true in your family, but it was just a, that was the first use of the law, no discussion. It was just like go to school, learn to read, brush your teeth, wear seatbelts. Same idea. So there is a use of the law. It's when you don't get into the boxing ring with them and try to try to make a, make a point. It's just that's what it is. And that gives a child security. So there is a proper first use of the law, especially with small children. But the use of the law, and it, this is particularly dangerous with their spiritual life, that you think, if I do this, then they'll turn out this way. And that is particularly, um, that's particularly dangerous because you're offering, you're trying to find an external solution to an internal problem. That never works. It's like trying to solve an in, irrational problem with a rational answer. That doesn't work either. What uh, I'll tell you and um, give you an example of how this worked out in our family in a way that tells um, how I, it was so easy to fall into. The law is so tempting. We think we can fix things. We think that the outside-in approach is going to work uh, when it, it really doesn't. Um, I fell into this use of the law when. Um, one of our boys wanted to go to boarding school in America while we were still living in Europe when Paul was getting his PhD in Germany. Um, I was very concerned about what was going to happen to his spiritual life if he went to this school. Uh, there was an ocean separating us. I didn't know um, how his Christian life would, would, how it would affect his Christian life. So a friend of mine gave me what she thought was really good advice, it would be fairly normal advice, she said, just find the, this boarding school that has the best Christian fellowship and send him there. I said, great, if I send him to this school, his Christian faith will be protected. So my little 15-year-old goes off to boarding school straight from his Christian camp where he was totally on board. He duly goes to the first Christian fellowship meeting at this school, and what do you think happened? The leader that at that particular time had a lot of rules, and the first thing that he heard when he went to this Christian fellowship is, you're listening to the wrong kind of music, and he never went back, never went back. This Christian fellowship that was supposed to nurture and protect him only gave him the law and I think he had the good sense to, to leave it. Unfortunately, he left it for about five years <laughs> and sort of went prodigal and didn't darken the door of a church or a fellowship group all during boarding school or most of college. So my attempts to control his spiritual life backfired. They truly backfired. Now, that's not the end of the story. Uh, you're all benefiting from what, how it finally ended, but nevertheless, my intentional action, so anytime you hear the word intentional with that kind of issue with children, 
watch out because that's the law. If I do this, then it will produce so-and-so. So I think I needed to learn that lesson more than he did. Um, it's really hard that your children have to, in a sense, go prodigal to find a savior. Um, that's not fun. It's embarrassing, and it's especially if you're the minister's. Um, <laughs> I'm looking at a minister's wife right now. It's it's not it's not uh, it's not so much fun. And another thing about the law, though, that I will say. Um, so that is true. Children have to go to a place where they need a savior to become the faithful children, Christian children you want them to be, period. And that can be, that can be, they can, some people have low bottoms and that's very painful. I don't want to underestimate that. But a final word about the law. Scripture says that the law kills while the spirit gives life. And I will tell you that the reason our boys are, um, are Christians and are active in the faith today, trying to promote the, the gospel, is that Paul was particularly good at um, being fun. He was fun. He took them to movies. He listened to music with them. He, he was, you know, he would wake them up when I'd almost gotten them to sleep. You know, he was, he was, he was a lot of fun um, because the spirit in him was, was fun. And I'm convinced that they're Christians today. They love God, and they love their dad, and I think the reason is because he was fun. And a lot of Christian parents get into being not so much fun, not much fun, and it's really, that's really important. Um, <clears throat> so that's about the law. The law does not have the power to control our children, to fix them, and to make them into what we think they should be. <clears throat> the third theme is sort of along this line. And that is that it's um, our job to trust the Holy Spirit with our families. And this goes for our spouses and um, siblings and what have you, all of our families, to get out of the way so that he can do the work that he wants to do in their lives. Trust in God and pray. Don't trust in your own ability to fix or control. Um, That's a form of the law. Oswald Chambers has a quote that that really hit home. Um, He says, are we playing amateur providence in others' lives? Are we so noisy in our instruction of others that God cannot get anywhere near them? We have to keep our mouths shut and our spirits alert. We disobey God by becoming amateur providences, by protecting others from suffering. Um, I have to ask God on a daily basis, where am I interfering with your work in someone else's life? Who am I trying to prevent from suffering? Of course, that's a noble idea to prevent someone from suffering, but it may be God who is bringing them to that place, and I may be getting in the way of God's work. Can I trust the Holy Spirit to work without my help? This is, of course, where prayer comes in. We were greatly affected by Jim Glennon, after whom the Glennon Center is named. And he told me, he said, you've got to leave your, your concern about your child or whatever it is at the foot of the, of the cross and turn around and walk away. And if you go back and pick it up again, then you're insulting God and saying that it's up to me. So that idea of um, one of the practical ways that this worked out for our children was that we 
prayed from their very earliest days for surrogates to come in to their lives who could do for them things that we could not do for themselves, that we could not do for them ourselves. In fact, we may be the last people who can help with certain issues, especially their spiritual lives. These surrogates in their lives have been the youth workers and the teachers and even the therapists and AA sponsors in their lives. Each of our boys has come to a living faith in Christ, but neither Paul nor I had a direct role in their making that commitment. Neither Paul or I. Others, God put others in their path that led them to faith. And yes, they had the advantage of parents who loved God and each other, as well as most, mostly good church experiences, but we're we were happy and willing for others to play this critical role in their lives, and that's what happened. So right from the first morning that I left my child in a nursery at the church, he happened to be the only child, um, I was letting him go. And this letting go of your children and trusting God, you're not letting them go to nothing. You're letting them go to God. But it's counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive to parents. That's why we have the helicopter parenting thing. That's why we have this over-involvement of parents today. It's a huge problem. Um, the minute you start letting them go, you are on the path to, um, you need to learn how to do that early is what I'm saying. And then you more and more and more do it. Um, as they became teenagers, the role of their father, I had been the primary, I was not a single mother, you know, quite, but on Sundays it sure felt like I was. Um, <laughs> but that dad, um, their father became more important as they became teenagers. And this was true. He was the only one who could really teach them how to be men. And if he, we had had a daughter, then um, he would have been the only one that could have given her a, a nice, safe relationship so that she didn't seek the wrong kind of men. However, I must admit, that was hard for me. I had to step back. They wanted to talk to him, not me. And I was the one who had done all the grunt work for all those years. Um, but that's, that's really true. And that's, that's just another example of getting out of the way. Um, a wise person once said to me, your children will continue to be children as long as you need to parent them. Ask yourself if you have adult or young adult children, is it your need to be their parent that is keeping you in that role? Or are you willing to let them go and trust God with their lives and let them grow up to be the people that they are meant to be? I want to leave you with um, what happened in our family that helped me see how important my stepping back was. I mean, I was a very involved mother. Don't get the idea that I wasn't. I was doing, I was very involved. Um, one Sunday sitting in church, though, and this is, this is where, the, where the church is so important, uh, one of the ways. Um, I was in deep, deep distress about one of our sons. I could see that he was lost, not just spiritually, but in life. He was adrift without rudder or paddle. I was consumed by guilt for all the ways that I knew that I had failed him. I had prayed and prayed with no apparent results. I had tried all sorts of ways to help him, and I was desperate. And the Holy Spirit showed up in the psalm of the week, 
which is amazing. If you go into church service and pray for God to speak to you through something, it can be a hymn, it can be a, a verse in a psalm, it can be a sermon. It doesn't have to be a sermon, though. God spoke to me through Psalm 80, verse 14 and 15. And that's what, this is what it said. Turn, O Lord of hosts, look down and behold, tend this vine that thy right hand has planted. And at that point, the scales fell. This vine that needed tending was not my vine, was not my son, but the Lord's. It was his child, and it was his job to tend this vine, especially at this moment. God had even more love and understanding for this child than, than I did. He didn't have the guilt trip that I had, that I was carrying. He could be trusted, and I needed to let go of my guilt and even my desire to help. Um, even my assessment of what was going on. Because in fact, and miraculously I did, I was exhausted, that's part of it, but I gave up. That was, you know, this is step one of AA, give up, admit your powerlessness, and I did. But in light of giving him up to God, and that's different from just giving up, period. Um, and the first thing after I pulled back, and I did, I genuinely pulled back and turned around and walked away the way Jim Glennon had said, um, I was able to see what was actually going on in his life. As long as I was over-identifying with him and looking, basically I was seeing myself in the mirror, um, it was affecting my parenting of him. It was, the plank was in my own eye. I couldn't see the truth about what was going on in the rest of the world. It was pretty obvious he had a substance addiction that needed professional help quick. And once, once that became clear, but only after I stepped out of the way did that become clear. And once that became clear, he got the help he needed, and his life has been changed ever since. What is my point? My point is that my over-identification with his problems kept me from being able to help him. Um, I had to get out of the way and admit my powerlessness. And once I did this, things happened. And this, it was really straightforward at that point. The same has been true countless, countless times in my relationship with Paul. He doesn't change. Surprise. Um, <laughs> with other family members, with even just life situations, the minute I get to a place where I say, oh, shoot, I'm trying to fix it again. I think it's up to me. I have this thing where I think it's up to me. I weigh, you know, it weighs me down. It makes me miserable. But then it's also hard for me to give it up. And once I do, it's amazing. Someone just told me a story last night of a situation in which once, I mean, he said that in the, his talk last night, it was at the last, the end of the rope, the giving up point that the breakthrough came. And you can't engineer that, but you can know that this is something not to be afraid of because you're in the hands of a loving God. Okay, that's my fourth principle, that get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit do its work even if it means suffering. Um, the fourth theme, really, that emerged in our sort of overall parenting scheme was that we were um, greatly affected by a woman in England named Canon Ann Long about um, the power of listening. And I'm going to talk about that in the work, um, the, in the breakout at 11 o'clock. And it's really the, um, 
something that transformed our family life, um, and especially our marriage, I would have to say, but also our children. It's grace and practice is listening, learning to listen. He said that last night, too. Uh, to summarize what I've been saying, it's tempting to think that our children's sin is a reflection on us when it is often their God-given human nature, and it's a cry for compassion, not for guilt or judgment. Secondly, their problems are opportunities for us to trust God more, not to redouble our efforts to fix them. And third, holding on, staying attached when they desperately need us to let them go so they can grow up is an example of bad parenting and even playing God in their lives. We fall into the traps we do because we care so much. And God understands that too. Over to Paul.